I'm Ingrid Delamar Kenny. I'm the CEO and founder of The Method. She's also my wife and she's the smartest woman I've ever met. First of all, she's my mom and she's really cool. She's all that and she's a superhero. Never mind CEO, she's gangster. This is the Pardon My French podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about wellness, fitness, Frenchism, and lifestyle, a Trey fucking chic gangster podcast. Hosted by fitness and wellness French hedonism guru and creator of The Method, The Body, yours truly, Ingrid Delamar Kenny, live from Monte Carlo, Monaco. On this show, you'll find a mix of audio entertainment, including listener and audience questions answered about health wellness, lifestyle, family, and relationships, and my French holistic tips to be healthy, have your best body, and transform both your body and your mindset into the happiest ever, as well as living la belle vie lifestyle like a chic French gangster. Kenny and I am your host on this episode number nine of Pardon My French. I am live from Monaco and today I am joined by my son, my son, my firstborn Dylan. Now I know it's not very typical for a podcaster or any type of interviewer or host to have her children on, but my children are my story. And although I feel like Dakota, my 12-year-old, is too young to bring any value um, to this podcast, uh, this podcast is about health, wellness, fitness, um, living a badass, chic French lifestyle, and everything else around that. And I feel like there are so many moms out there that are following me that were so responsive to Dylan's story when I posted about it on my social media platforms um, when he graduated and was accepted to law school in the UK. And I realized there was a real need for more information about, first of all, raising children as a single mom and still making it in this world. And second of all, raising a child with a diagnosis of a learning disability. More importantly for Dylan, being on the spectrum and being diagnosed from the age of three and a half, how to fight the diagnosis and not take it laying down to turn up with an extraordinary child instead of a child that is not deemed, instead of a child that's deemed abnormal. So, I dedicate this episode to those moms out there that need some hope to fight a diagnosis and give their child his or her best chances at living an extraordinary and normal or above normal life because those children are truly special and I do feel they have a special place in this world higher levels of intelligence they sometimes don't know how to exploit and so yeah that's who I really dedicate this episode to 
I also dedicate it to the motherfucker doctors and therapists and specialists I went to see when Dylan was little and they told me that he was not normal, that he needed to go literally in an institution for kids that are not normal and that he will never be a highly functioning adult. So to those assholes, fuck you very much. So this is something that's recurrent with me. I don't know if you've noticed, but I do fight a lot against diagnosis and diets. And I fight all these experts and assholes as far as I'm concerned that um, are benefited, that they're profiting from diagnosis or from putting you on diets. Technically, what I'm saying here is if you're a mom, if you're someone that's trying to lose weight, if you're someone that is looking for a job, why don't you just follow your gut? If you have a feeling that the person that is across from you has more to profit from your money than from you getting the skinny body you want or than from your kid um, getting better and having a normal life, then you probably need to step away from this person. And that is something you need to be careful from nowadays. Even influencers. Before they influence you, ask yourself, how much money are they making from posting about whatever they're posting about? How much free information are they giving you because they're simply good and they are doing it from the goodness of their heart? I will not mention names, but there are so many influencers where I just sit there and watch everything they are trying to influence me to buy and I go, okay, how much money did you truly make on this post? So yeah, I think following intuition when it comes to dieting, following your intuition when it comes to your own good, you're in a relationship that is not working, your intuition knows it is not working. Often your body even responds to that. How many women do I have that tell me they've gained weight when they were in an unhappy relationship? That's your intuition talking and you resisting it and staying in the bad relationship. Same thing with your diet or your dietitian or your nutritionist. So when it comes to your child, more than ever, I want you to also go back to your intuition. If you're sitting across from a doctor that is giving you no hope, step away. Children are hope. They're the only hope that we have. No matter who they are, no matter what they have, they are hope. If you're sitting across from a doctor or a therapist or an, a school administrator telling you there's no hope from your, for your child, punch them in the face mentally, mentally, and step away from the asshole. And so without further ado, here is my baby Dylan. Hi. Hi. Good to be on here. Thank you for coming on my podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming to visit me from London this weekend. <laughs> that's, a, that's always a pleasure to see you. I miss, <laughs> the, I miss you guys so much. We miss you too. Um, so you know why you're on here. Obviously, you've inspired so many women, so many mamas out there that have heard my podcast uh, interview with Lauren and Michael. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, I mean, it's not really me the inspiration. It's more of you. Um, I guess we'll leave that for the audience to decide. But you've had an incredible life already at 19 years old. And I do believe that you can give a lot of hope 
to especially the moms and dads because they are dads that do partake in this situation although that wasn't your case and if you allow we will discuss that too um, but the reason why you are here is because something extraordinary has happened in your life and this was a long time coming in the sense that I didn't want to talk about it until it was a success story so let's just um, first talk a little bit explain who you are in the sense that maybe some people listen to this podcast and usually it's about health and you know wellness and fitness and dieting actually anti-dieting but it's all correlated with your life with my life because a lot of my listeners are moms and when I came out with my story on the Skinny Confidential, then I wrote a few posts on your birthday because we decided that that was it. We could come out with your story. Actually, it wasn't for your birthday. It was when you got your baccalaureate, when you graduated yeah, and were accepted to law school. Yeah. When you got your, your what's the equivalent of official. a bachelor's degree. Yeah. Um, we thought that it was time we come out with your story and it resonated with a lot of moms and a lot of sisters and a lot of aunts and uncles. I got a lot of messages from people saying, thank you for coming out and explaining uh, what you've done. My little brother or my son or my nephew is going through this and we don't know what to do. And you've just given us hope because Dylan gave us hope that, you know, my loved one, my, my little loved one, who's on the spectrum or has a learning disability actually can come out on top and end up in one of the top law schools somewhere like Dylan. So this is your story. You're 19 years old. Yeah, I'm 19 years old. Um, you I graduated. My, I graduated this year, this year um, from a really good school. Um, I got my baccalaureate with honors. Um, and I live, in the, I live in the south of France with my mom and my beautiful father. Um, yeah. and my beautiful family and my two beautiful sisters and my lovely dog and um, well you no longer live here now. I no longer live here now I live in London in the UK which has been a different experience for me um, and I'm in law school and it's uh, it's all going really well I think um, but obviously the road going to law school was not always easy I mean with my mom we've been through we've been through hell of different times yeah. different situations we had we had our ups we had our downs um, but she did follow me all the way through and took care of me throughout my entire life to allow me to be officially, how can I put this, officially normal, sort of say I'm You're not normal, normal. you're extraordinary. I don't see it like that. I think <laughs> I was just gifted with a mother who had a lot of patience, who had a lot of willpower, and in my eyes, who should be a role model for moms out there who are single, who might feel alone, who might have kids, and might feel like the job is tough because a lot of because what my mom did was she literally took on the role of two parents at the same time, which can be very complicated for some women. Some women completely lose it. Some mothers will lose it. And she didn't lose it. She kept her calm. And she was extraordinary throughout it. And she gave a lot of time to each of us. Um, Thank you. That's very sweet. Um, so I think that we have two faults in our story. And... We're not going to go too deep into one of them faults because it's your story, of course, but it's also my story, which yeah. is when I was incarcerated. Yeah. Um, but it has 
you know, at least inspired you. It's, it's affected you and it's inspired you um, to choose your career path. Well, that's why I wanted for to For two reasons. A because one, because I'm a lawyer. I graduated from law school and I was quite good at that. I, I'm quite good at that, even though I haven't practiced law. Um, but I, I have a little bit of practice under my belt and I think part of your passion comes from that. Which is nice. Definitely, definitely, I mean. But the mission, the passion, everything else, I think, comes from what's happened to me, what's happened to us. So what I was wondering was, when you have to apply to a UK law school, and you applied to five of them, and you were accepted to all five, so we got our pick of the litter here, and we chose, of course, the nicest one, the best one, the one that had the best rank, um, you had to write a statement. Yeah. Which is an acceptance, like an acceptation. What is that in the States? I forgot what you call it, like a motivation letter? A, a sort of motivation letter. But it has to be something very potent uh, that's going to really get you that spot in that school. And yeah. they also demanded of you a certain GPA. Um, yeah, a certain grade you have to get, to get into London universities. Yeah. Or so you UK have to be like cum laude or magna cum laude. Um, yeah. and, you, and you did, you got it, and you got in. Um, can you read part of the statement? Um, you have it? Uh, I do indeed. There's a few parts, obviously. Uh, you don't have to read the whole thing, obviously, because it would be super long. But I do feel, first of all, my book is going to come out at some point. And the only reason for the book to come out at this time was because you graduated, because we won. It was we, we won this battle and it was like time to tell people it was time to tell people hey there's hope out there you know so um the book starts with the statement and the statement is something that's obviously very confidential it's only um transmitted through the ucas system exactly. which goes to the five schools that you are allowed yeah. to apply to because you're only allowed to apply to five law schools um and no one else gets to read it. So we chose to release it on my book. So when the book comes out sometimes in 2019, um, or maybe later, we don't know yet, um, which is more like a memoir, that's not my wellness book, that's something else. Um, you, we decided that we would release your statement as one of the first pages. Um, so I want you to read some of the lines. I read some of the lines, but obviously I wouldn't want to spoil the book, so I'm just... No, gonna... you're not spoiling the book, because that's not really... You know, it's just the introduction to the book and just why for... we're here. And the purpose behind this is really to let people know... Just to give everybody the gist of what we're going to talk about. So go for it. Um, so as a child, law touched my life. It impacted my childhood in a way I wish on no one. In 2006, my mother, an NYU law student who graduated cum laude, was railroaded by the U.S. justice system. Uh, we were a typical American family living in NYC. We sang the Star Spangled Banner at baseball games. We watched election polls eagerly. Most of all, we loved our mayor, Rudy Giuliani, the man who was once a prosecutor, created the RICO Act, and revived New York after 9-11. This was the justice system, which I did trust, um, the one my mother was sworn into as a lawyer. Then one day she dropped me off at school and told me that I had to be strong because she didn't know when she'd be back. The next time I saw her was in an FCI, a two-hour drive away behind gates and, a security, and security checks. I was not able to hold her in my arm for 12 long months. 
it took one year, 12 lawyers, a mortgage on our house, and even the support of Senator Hillary Clinton. I think it's the second mortgage on our house, actually. Second mortgage. Um, for my mother to win her federal appeal, be exonerated and released without even an apology. The lawsuit changed my outlook on our justice system. Then I started doubting the due process when I started paying closer attention to headlines on police brutality on minorities like Trayvon Martin killed because he was black, whilst pro-athlete Brock Turner got to do three months in prison for rape. Um, when my mother got out, she chose not to practice law anymore. She volunteered for a nonprofit foundation helping those wrongfully prosecuted. I recall a case about a Napster kid, 17 years old, who had illegally downloaded MP3 files. Um, and the feds had waited for his 18th birthday to indict him um, and prosecute him in Virginia. Yeah, like uh, me. Which was the... It was the same state as me. Same state as you. Yeah. And he faced 11 years in jail had my mom not fought the jurisdiction. Instead, he got six months. I was young, and it was really a case which resonated with me. Um, I am more than ever looking forward to applying for uh, law for a cause beyond politics involved in the justice system, which I felt betrayed by mine. I'm lucky enough to have a European upbringing and the passport that goes with it, along with the opportunity to study law in the United Kingdom in my native language. I have strong writing skills, and I'm an avid reader. Quality is essential to law studies. Yet, what I um, what qualifies me the most is my past, its unprecedented awareness, the acute sense of what the essence of law and justice should be. My grasp on social matters, my perception of legal issues, and my persuasive argumentation skills are skin deep. I rest assured this program will help me learn skills necessary to undertake legal practice training, knowledge, and employability in my chosen areas of law, criminal justice, and human rights. So you want to go into human rights? Or criminal justice. I mean, now that I've started studying it, it's just... Um, it's really hard to know because obviously it wasn't what I expected it to be. I mean, we don't really know what we're going to getting into. Well, we know we've heard that law is obviously difficult, but it's so com the law is so complex that. Yeah, it's complex and you'll, you know. you'll, you'll learn where you want to go. Yeah. But either way, when you have a story like ours, you're definitely going to be on the right side of the law. I'm going to read your last lines because I like them the most. With a past like mine, a front row seat at the example of a failing justice system, a knowledge and awareness of what law is and what it should be, I owe it to myself. I owe it to my mother's legal legacy to excel in the study of law and ultimately become an attorney that can and will make a difference. Beyond the passion is the duty. And that's for, from um, Corinthians. How do you say that? Um, Corinthians, yeah. yeah. The string of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. It's really good. It was really good. It got you in. I try to make it. I mean, obviously, I did pass it through only the people really close to me, like you, and uh, yeah. who helped so me perfect it. We've, we've shared it. Yeah, I helped you perfect it. We wrote it. You wrote it, but I just helped you uh, make it better. Structure it. And structure it. So that's part of our story. That's not our whole story. No, it is not. I mean, there's so much more context to that. Yeah. That's just a sort of little resume. What makes you extraordinary is that when you were about two and a half, three years old, I noticed you weren't like every other child. Yeah, I wasn't like every other child. You don't um, remember, I, I'm going to say. I don't. My mom, my mom would, would had the front row seat to that. So, I mean. So, I was very young. I was... Uh, I had you when I was 20, so I was very young when I noticed something was up yeah. and uh, I had you diagnosed 
first by um, the Board of Education, which was horrible, yeah. early intervention, and they were kind of just, they try their best, I guess, the Board of Education in the States, but when it comes to things that don't fall within their criteria of learning disabilities, they kind of don't know how to treat you, and so they put you on mainstream um, therapies that don't help you much, and the worst part of it all is the labeling. It goes right away on your school record and it will follow you all the way up until you apply for university yeah. and grad school. And that's where it becomes problematic. And I was lucky enough that someone explained this to me and said, well, if you put your, your, your child through early intervention, a lot of that is free, you know, and that's, that's a government agency. Um, and they take care of learning the children with learning disabilities. They, they send shadows to school. You have an occupational therapist that works for the state and, you know, uh, an educational therapist. And the problem with that is that not only they're not qualified to deal with all types of learning disabilities, yours in particular, because we didn't really know what it was. All they knew about no them was ADD, ADHD, or, you know, uh, I mean, stuff much worse that didn't, you know, didn't apply to you. Um, and they told me it would go on your school record. And I was like, there's no way I didn't want to admit, um, I didn't want to accept this, uh, diagnosis and this outcome. There was no way. And I knew that we needed to do something. So we took you to Dr. C.C. McCartan at the McCartan Center. Yeah, very kind lady. You remember her because you saw her again many years later. A few years down the line. Yeah, a few years down the line. Um, I also think she came to testify for my sentencing. I, I believe she did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she saved us. We walked in. You don't remember. You were very small. Um, you were about two and a half, three years old. And I sat in her office. And uh, she said, uh, you know, come sit, sit with me. And you started acting awkward. Yeah. And she looked at me and she saw that I was so embarrassed. And she said, oh, it's okay. This toy is over there. You can go play with the toys. She was already an older woman. She wasn't young, Dr. McCartan. Um, and the way that we found her is, I think I was watching, I think it was CNN. And they were playing... Um, they were playing a preview of um, Rain Man with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Who and the Tom Cruise. Is a man, and Tom Cruise, who's a man who had autism. Yeah. And at the time, that is all we knew about autism. We didn't know anything else. And then she came on. The interviewer, the journalist, put her on and she started talking about something called autism, which I knew very little about. I had seen the movie. And she started to talk about eye contact and, you know, flapping with the hands and just a few things and some things really like rang true. But uh, her message was one of hope. She was saying that she was fighting the FDA and whatever other, you know, government approval to approve some um, programs that are non-prescription programs because I didn't want to give you medication um, and that there was hope for kids that were possibly on the spectrum of autism and so 
she was in New York, luckily for us. I found her somewhere on 86th Street in Manhattan. And I decided to make an appointment and take you to be uh, evaluated by her. So yeah, as we came into her office, she said she was going to evaluate you. I told her why I was there and what I had no noticed. And we went into evaluation and I think that was one of the hardest days of my life because just like you are today, you were this perfect little boy. You were beautiful. So I don't know if you realize, but back then, you know, you're born in 1999. Yeah. And back in the days, back then, you know, 19 years ago and around that time, kids that had, you know, that were not deemed normal, they also had physical criteria like Down syndrome children. So when you saw them on the street, you knew they had Down syndrome. You knew something was wrong with them because of the way they looked. Those beautiful special children, you know, have different um, physical, a different physical appearance than other kids. But kids with autism and Asperger's and ADD and ADHD, they're beautiful, normal children in the sense that they look like other kids. And so that was the thing with you that was so, you know, not deceiving, but where it was so hard to know something was wrong because you were the perfect little boy. And I had never expected that taking you to this um, evaluation would rock my world and open my eyes and knowledge to a whole other world of child development. Um, we evaluated you, they sat me in another room where I could see you through a, a mirror window so you couldn't see me, what you saw was a mirror. And they put you with an evaluator on the other side and I watched as you literally, you were so sweet. You wanted to do so well. There were so many games, so you know you had to put like the squares in the squares, and there was, uh, I always mention it, even on my interview with the Skinny Confidential, I, I, I mentioned it. There was, uh, do you remember the monkeys, where you have to attach the monkeys so they can climb into a chain? Do, do you remember know, that? You know, um, not particularly that, but I mean, I do recall, you know, that, I, I, I mean, I was very, very small, so I can't really remember everything, but I mean, I do recall the big, you know, glass mirror, for sure. So maybe, yeah, I don't know. So It stuck to me. You, you failed every single test that if this evaluator collaborating with Dr. McCartan was putting you through. And I was on the other side and I was crying and crying and crying. You weren't putting the squares in the squares and you weren't answering. I mean, you remember, I, I tell you this all the time. It was like, Dylan, look, the water is blue. And it was like, what color is the water, Dylan? And you were like, green. And I was like, this was going on with this evaluator too. And for me, at first it was like, oh my God. And I remember crying so much behind that window. And when it was over, they told me I could go see you. And I said, hi, did you have fun? And you said, yeah, mommy, I had so much fun. You had no idea. You you were adorable. 
and I remember hugging you so tight and that day I decided that we were gonna we were gonna fight this yeah. and Dr. McCartan gave me a big number the evaluation was very expensive and I was only 22 years old I think at the time she gave me a big number she said I'm so sorry this is not reimbursed by insurances I'm still fighting the government they don't want they don't want to approve these therapies they don't want to approve fast forward which was a system one of the first computer systems for kids with learning disabilities and I wanted to do it so bad so I uh, I told her I said I'll do it and when we left there your biological father uh, Joe came to pick us up and uh, he was completely against the whole thing and he said yeah you're making this child even more retarded than he is so he's retarded there's nothing we can do about it and I remember hating him so much for that and you know he wasn't always great with words but he didn't mean bad I know that today it's just a very old-fashioned mentality yeah, I mean, you know, you want to think that your kids are perfect. and uh, Yeah, and, and so I think he was in denial. So I knew getting into the car with him that I was fighting this fight on my own. But you saw, I mean, you and saw the greater so good. And so I borrowed money from my, bro my big brother, who ended up giving me the money, actually. He said I could borrow it, but he never let me pay him back, your uncle Gilbert. Yeah. And uh, then I started selling all my shit on eBay, yeah. all my jeans and... And uh, I gave piano lessons, yeah. and uh, and I had a job also for you know Patricia Field. I worked for yeah, her. Worked in the fashion the industry. Custom designer of Sex in the City, and I was working all these jobs, and I was doing eBay at night while you were sleeping, and I came up with the first five thousand dollars at the time. That was a lot of money. At the time, yeah. And I remember when I gave her the check, I didn't have all the funds on the accounts yet. And I asked her if she could hold it for a few days. So we started fast forward and all of the therapies that she said we should have. So you had occupational therapy with Steve, remember? Yeah. You had... I wanted this sort of... I remember he had this uh, car <laughs> in his office. Believe it or not, I do have some... No, memory. you're talking yeah. about Dr. Billick. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, there were so many people in your life at that time. You're amazing people. So you had Steve, I remember. He was your occupational therapist. And you had a special ed, Stacy, special ed um, therapist. And you had all these people are engraved in my mind forever. And you had a shadow in school as well. Um, when you say a shadow, you mean the speech therapist? No. Do you remember there was a, you had a shadow... Uh, th that was like a therapist that used to kind of shadow you in class, but that was in preschool. I don't know if you remember. I probably don't remember. Probably too young to remember, honestly. And uh, to drive you to the city almost every day because we lived in Brooklyn at the time. Yeah. So, uh, and I was working three jobs. And you didn't get better at first. At first, it was very hard. You didn't speak for a really long time. And when you spoke, it was difficult and sometimes awkward, but you were um, diagnosed, diagnosed on the spectrum of autism, which gave me a lot of hope because you did not have 
what a lot of autistic kids, the ones that are full-fledged autistic yeah. have, which is the emotional detachment. Detachment. You actually were completely emotionally available. And even though you didn't make eye contact with anyone, you made eye contact with me. Like, uh, you were the only person that I think... Uh, but I taught you. Yeah. And that was a big step forward. When you started to make eye contact with me, that was great. The constant daily reminders I'll never forget, yes. obviously. Like, uh, you know, make eye contact. Um, I didn't say it, make eye contact. No, you were like, Dylan. Dylan, I'm, Dylan I'm here. Yeah. Look at mommy. Always very kind, always very, you know, sweet. Like this, I would understand. And then I went to Brooklyn College night classes and I took some, you know, um, special education classes to know how to speak to you, which today I'm using some of this technique. Um, for the method for Contrology Integration, which is what I created, uh, the mind-to-body cognitive um, relationship. And so it's crazy because it's actually, you know, impacted what I do now. And ultimately, until the age of 12, you weren't necessarily getting better. No, not you well, you were in the sense that we were able to fight also the school system, where yeah. they wanted to put you in. I remember this school, this yeshiva, because we're Jewish, in Gesher Yehuda, and I don't know if you remember that school. It was next to your preschool in Magen David, and they wanted to put you there with kids that had much worse conditions than you, much yeah. worse learning disabilities, and. I knew that at your age, it was a lot of monkey see, monkey do, which means that if you saw kids with worse conditions than you, you could start mimicking some of their symptoms, some of their, you know, issues. And I didn't want that. And so lucky enough, um, and I wonder where this woman is today, but I work with this woman um, that was an advocate for learning disabilities and she helped me um, pitch to your school at the time, Mag and David, um, what became the academy. Yeah. And so it existed already in the high school and I, you know, went on a mission with this school of yours. Yeah, you they didn't want to have you. They took you in the preschool and after the preschool they said, no, you have to send him to a special school. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to send you to a special school. And so they said, okay, if you get us 10 kids, 10 kids, we will put a special class in our school and give them a mainstream normal curriculum. And every year, every grade, if this class continues to exist, if you have nine or 10 attendants, um, the academy within Mag and David will continue and your son will be in a normal school with a mainstream program, but two teachers and less kids. And what I did was at the time I worked on Sex and the City and then I worked on all these TV shows and stuff. So people in our community in Brooklyn, they knew me, they knew what I did for a living. And, and so I used a little bit of my, you know, my um, notoriety yeah. at the time to go talk to these mothers because in the community there was a lot of kids with learning disabilities and a lot of moms who didn't want to admit it because their child was perfect. And so I used to go to this, um, we used to do these meetings and this woman, Rachel Towell, I don't know what happened to her now, what she does, she must be older now also, 
we all got older, but she's already older than me, um, would gather these women and she would say, look at the message. Ingrid works in the fashion industry where everything is beautiful, everyone's beautiful, and she's telling you that your child is not abnormal. Your child is extraordinary and you can give your child a chance yeah. by letting the academy take your child over and we won't label the, the child because it was a private school and we were able, her and I, to recruit nine kids. And so we and launched, yeah, we launched, it, uh, it was first grade. Yeah. We launched it, we were, you know, it existed. They called me and they said, we have nine kids, thank you. Um, and, we, and there was nine kids in that class and I was praying that no kids would drop throughout the year yeah. so we would have a second grade and a third grade. And it worked. And more and more just kept on coming, I remember. So the program was great because it allowed us to have our kids in mainstream curriculums, like normal children, in a normal school with other normal children. They were classes you were taking with normal. Yeah. I don't want to say normal because you, you were normal. But I'm saying with the mainstream. And they really paid attention to us. They well. paid attention to you. And so you went until the age of, I think, 10. Is that what it was? Mm, yeah. And then I moved you, but yeah. I moved you when they mainstreamed you. The, the, the success story of this is that we never had to label you on Board of Education paperwork. You were never labeled because you would have never been accepted to the law school you go to now. I, I know. And I was like, in my head, I was like, my kid's going to go to Harvard. My kid is going to go to Cambridge in the UK. My kid's going to go to, there's no way I'm going to have him labeled. And it worked. It was a lot of tears. I cried a lot of tears. I wanted to divorce your father every day because he was not there for us. He yeah. did not want to admit what was happening. He was, um, it's very hard, I think, for fathers to admit that their yeah. son is not deemed normal by society. You know, by that fucked up society that decides what's normal and what's abnormal. Um, but you were mainstreamed, you know, I and mean, you went into a regular program. And after that year is when I decided to move to Monaco. Yeah, and when we arrived in Monaco, you were n normal. Yeah, I was normal. I mean, obviously changing countries was hard. And yeah. they had told me, so before we moved, I went to one doctor that we used to go to, and that was not Dr. Mark Carton, because she would have never said that. And the doctor we went to, I said, okay, I need, you know, uh, I need to move. And Dylan's gonna have to learn some French, even though Monaco is bilingual, you know, it, it's proximity to France and French being the first language as well. Um, English being also, the, it's two languages, but French is prominent. And that doctor, two, three doctors actually said, He's never going to speak French. Dylan will never be able to live on his own. He will never speak French. You are going to fuck up his life. And I was like, fuck you guys. Like, fuck you. Yeah. You know, you go fuck up someone else's life, not my son. And we moved. Yeah, we did. And I, I put you in a regular school at yeah, first. Yeah, I was in a so, Okay, so there was that school. amazing program for kids that yeah, came from that other countries. Yeah, that taught us French for about a year. They and taught you French for about a year and there was less math and everything else. Yeah. And at first, you weren't learning French. No, I hated it. And I was very scared. I, I was scared it. the doctors were right. But I kept fighting it. 
And then I decided to take you out and put you in the best school in Monaco. Yeah, one of the best, honestly. The hardest school. Which had a principal, which was great. Who and when we went to see the principal, I remember she, she looked at you and she smiled at you. And I think she knew all along something was special about you. But she's never really said, she and she was anything. like, are you sure that Dylan, and I was like, I'm sure Dylan's completely normal. He's got all the evaluations from, from the States. Does he have dyslexia? She said, I'm like, nope, perfect <laughs> child. You know, just struggling with the French. And I blamed it all on the French. Yeah. And she was like, she looked at you and she said, Dylan, I believe in you. Give me the best that you've got. And I think that that is the best lie i ever told yeah <laughs> i mean it, and it was she worth was it. amazing madame médecin she's now yeah, retired now retired and she supported us you didn't have the best best grades no. but you were average in the uh, best school in monaco one of the hardest curriculums in the country and in the region yeah, um hard. with bachelors what, what what we have here in high school to go to university you go straight to law school you don't go through college i have to explain because my audience is you know, Majority. mainly American. American. Yeah. Um, so we have high school in France and in Monaco, the equivalent of um, a bachelor's degree, like an undergraduate. I don't even know how you explain it, but technically it's very hard. It's hard because it's like graduating from undergrad in college yeah. to be able to go to law school. It's basically the same sort of things that you would learn in college to go right so you university. do that the last two years of high school and it's yeah. very hard and you got through it and then we moved you again I took you out of Monaco and sent you to another great school just because I wanted you to see the real world because yeah. Monaco is quite, uh, quite sheltered and you know Squashed upper up. class and whatever and I wanted you to take the train be with yeah. other people so I put you in Nice in another amazing private school um, and you got your bachelor yeah, international yeah. baccalaureate yeah you got it with yeah. mention which yeah. is honors honors yeah that translates to honors in english so yeah. yeah and i wanted to send fuck you notes to all these evaluators and doctors that yeah. were ever in your life I, w I wish you would have but we don't we don't remember much of them and nowadays we don't know what they really became yeah i mean and crazy to think about it all though. these tears and you know, everything else we've gone through, all the fights with your biological father yeah. have become so worth it. And in between all of that, I was sent away for a year of yeah. your life. It was, uh, it was hard, obviously. And you regressed at that time. Yeah, I You did. were, how old were you? I'd say 10. You were 10? 10 years old. Yeah, um, it was very hard Nine for me. or 10, yeah. And, um, because I didn't have you there and because, you know, no, you were not ten. You were younger. You were. Oh. You were. That was eleven years ago. So you were eight. Um, and. And. Just you regressed when I came home. You had completely closed yourself up. The, the you weren't making eye contact with other people. Nobody took care of me. Once again, that really took care of me was my sister. Well, yes, yeah, Savannah had Savannah. a huge load on her back because she was watching out for you. And then she came to see you more often than me. Then at some point you couldn't come see me anymore. Yeah. You couldn't bear with it. You had stomach I, aches. I had such a hard time. It was very hard. And um, actually, the judge in my case that sentenced me. Um, I'm sorry. I'm a little bit emotional talking about it. Obviously, um, he was. Um, how do you say it? He was reprimanded. 
after the sentencing by the appellate court, like the fourth district, fourth circuit yeah. court of the United States mm -hmm. for not taking into consideration for such a minor um, white color yeah. offense. Uh, I got the wrong end of the stick here. Um, anybody that's listened to this Skinny Confidential obviously knows the story and knows that I was railroaded and I was uh, indicted in Virginia, which wasn't even my state because I, my state, and I was from New York, never stepped a foot in Virginia. And they indicted me there for selling jeans on the internet, non-delivery of goods. Amazing. And the book will tell more of that story. Yeah. And then it took me one year um, to win my appeal, but the uh, judge, Judge Kacheres, um, who then was forced to retire right after I won my appeal, um, decided that I would have to do it in prison because I had dual citizenship and because I was French. And he thought I was at flight risk, so he didn't want to let me uh, have the same privileges as an American citizen would have had I not been French I, I would have been able to wait out my appeal at home yeah. because it wasn't a violent offense yeah. it was just fraud right. not that it's a lesser crime but yeah it's like, you know I, I wasn't gonna go and defraud anybody while I was waiting for an appeal but I had three small children one of which had a very serious disability and needed me at home and sure enough, when we appealed and I went back in front of him because his decision was overturned by, you know, the circuit court judges that where I won my, when I won my appeal, he was reprimanded because the guidelines obligate a judge to look at situations where a mom is needed yeah. and she's a caregiver for a child that has a disability um, but that year was terrible and yeah. I mean today I don't believe we would be where we are without that experience without that experience it's made me the woman that I have that I am I thrive so much more for integrity and honestly honesty now because I felt like I was held to other standards than everybody else it made you the strong woman I think really because I mean already you were a very strong woman but with that experience, you know, one year in there, far yeah. away from the people that you loved, you know, me and the girls. But that's what's kept me alive. Life. That's and why it, and I it kept fought. You, and that's why you fought, and that's why I see you as a really strong woman, and that I can say that I'm proud of today because. Well, I want to talk about that first. So, my husband today, Shil, is your father, is your legal father, yeah, he's legal adopted father. you. Yeah. Yeah, and with your so biological grateful. father being aware that he's adopted you yeah. because he literally your biological father for his own reasons which I think he now regrets because you've seen him recently uh, when yeah. I, I arranged that meeting yeah. and I'm happy that you did um, but for his own reasons and beliefs and having fallen very hard into the Jewish religion beyond reason um, he checked out of your life quite early when him and I got divorced. Yeah. And that was also a big thing that I had to deal with. Well, no, we didn't have, we didn't know why, we didn't understand why. We didn't. So, you know, and I'm the one who left him. So it's yeah. not that he left us, but when I decided to get divorced, because he had become really too religious, I was quite unhappy with him. 
um, he, I said to him, can I take the kids to Monaco? And he said, yeah, take them. I don't want them. And I was like, okay, I'll send them to you for vacation. He's like, yeah, do whatever you want. And then I called him the next vacation and he was like, well, if you want to send them, pay the ticket. And he had money. So it was yeah. crazy to me. I paid the ticket. I sent you the yeah. first year. Then yeah. it went okay. But he was very detached, never he called, was, never, yeah, never called. wished birthdays. And he mm. was, but he greeted you well that first year. And then the second year, he was getting engaged again to, to a woman from the community mm. who I happened to talk to not long ago and mm. happens to be very sweet. Yeah. Um, but uh, for reasons that w she didn't understand herself, because we talked about it a few uh, about a month ago when her and I spoke, yeah. um, he wanted nothing to do with you guys. And he, the second time I sent you, and I paid for everything because I wanted you guys to have a relationship with him. He, after four days, threw you guys out, and yeah. uh, I sent you to Miami to my mom. My brother yeah. came to get you. They welcomed us with And you never saw him again. He didn't, didn't want to after. see you. Um, so he had already given up his rights to um, parental rights. And yeah. when Jill came around, he was made aware. And he said, I know she is being an, an amazing father for the kids. And if he wants to adopt them, that's fine with me. And uh, Gilles, your father, he's loved you he's, more he's than done words so much can within, tell. Yeah, I mean, words can't describe our relationship because he's done so much for me. Um, he's done so many remarkable things for me. And he's really forged me into the man that I am today. And for that, I'm grateful because within, within three years, he did more work than somebody else who, was, yeah. who had the chance to And he was it, tough so. with you. I do believe that he contributed in this amazing graduation. Of course he did. I mean, he was there. He treated you like you were normal. Yeah. Knowing all too well who you were. And yeah. you, I mean, in the past few years, you still had some traces of so, that disability. Yeah, I mean, it didn't leave Socially, 100%. emotionally. Yeah, and I think also the fact that your dad checked out of your life. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, he dealt with it so beautifully and you know we always said Dylan is not normal he's extraordinary and so we're gonna expect a lot from him and that's what we've done he's always put me up to the highest of his standards and I think you have you've been extraordinary you've, you stayed so kind and so sweet and sometimes too much sometimes um, so, yeah some, I mean because I, I think that what you have you still have today as far as I'm concerned is this un-understanding of meanness. You don't understand it, you don't practice it. Unfortunately, that's a lot of what's out there in the world. Yeah, and, it's, uh, <laughs> and, I've, and I've lived through a few experiences where I've been yeah. sort of naive. And, You've uh, been bullied also. Yeah, I have. We had to deal occasions. with, but, but I did take care of that my, yeah, so I mean, much. You, took the, you, you, <laughs> you walked, you literally like were holding my hand the whole time, um, obviously. You I've know. threatened a few kids. Threatened a few kids <laughs> along the way as well. I and think, their parents. I, th I think they. St I think they still have nightmares of it sometimes. You know, I mean. I would never touch a kid. No, you never did. But you. But you always kind. But you were correct. You know. But I did very you, often have to reach out to asshole parents. As 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 a, as a lawyer, I mean, you as a person who did ex excelled in law, as a woman who has been through so much, you know, you taught you, you know, you had a low tolerance for people that were mean and people that were unfair. I have a question for you. For the single moms out there that are raising kids and that are raising boys on their own with absentee fathers, 
and that are so worried that their kids are not, their boys not coming out right because of the lack of a father image in their life. What can you say to those moms to reassure them? Just, you know, I think I think I see it as my mom got through it. Any other woman can get through it. Obviously, it's a very difficult challenge because a father figure is always very important. And for a while, I didn't have one. And now I do today, and I'm very, very grateful. Yeah. Um, and I'd honestly wish on everybody to have a father figure, all the young boys. Um, but if you're a single mom and you're having to raise a boy or a few boys or a lot of boys. Oh, girls. Or even girls. I mean, <laughs> it can be difficult on you. But, you know, you have to stay strong and, you know, form them to, ha to make sure that they never will ever do that to a family. To make sure what happened to so them. So you feel like, like what I did with you and, and the life... Well, it taught me to never do lived. that. It taught me to always be there for my future kids. If I do ever have kids, you I mean, so? I'm a bit young, but <laughs> of course you'll have kids. I, I mean, yeah, obviously, I think it would be a great thing, you know, to form a family and stuff. But it just taught me that no matter the circumstances of what goes on, you know, you can't leave those kids behind because they need you to be there. Okay, so telling those moms it's actually completely possible to give their young boy it is. It everything is. that that boy needs just from being strong and giving love. Because and a mother, big tough. I was tough on you. you were very tough. tough. But you were you were you were tough like you know a father figure should be. But you know a mother's love. I used to get cards on Father's Day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You should Dylan get Mother's used Day, to give me Father's cards Day. on Father's Day. <laughs> I used to I used to give my because I believe that. I was a that, single mom. But you know, I mean, a mother's a mother's love can be very strong for a person, and sometimes a mother's love can, as well as I've experienced with my mom, it can cover both cases. Yeah. Obviously, there are moments where it's hard. She can't understand, you know. Another woman. thing I want to talk to you about. We uh, obviously did all the therapies, never gave you any prescription drugs no, none. for your disability. None at all. Um, today you're going to law school. You're not taking any medication nope. whatsoever. You're no. absolutely normal. You excel. You have amazing grades. You understand everything. Yeah. Which doctors incredible. in America told us would me. never be possible. They doubted me a lot. They didn't doubt you. They plain they said, said people like you cannot live unassisted today you live alone yeah i do and it's been a, and, it's, and it's a new ex yeah i mean it's and you cook for yourself yeah i do i you know i mean i got inspired I by my mom cook. <laughs> i mean i've been watching my mom do many things for years and one of the things that she's i mean she's amazing at is, is cooking <laughs> you know i love her food she's her food is the best honestly you know anytime i could eat her food i'm i'm in love i've always told her you know if you could send me your food frozen by <laughs> buy packages or whatever. I would never send to my food frozen. You know, I hate frozen food. I know, food. I know you hate frozen food, but like, I mean, that's how much. So, you know, after watching her with her exotic spices and, you know, Moroccan taste and Moroccan spices and... But here is the thing. A lot of people come on this platform, the podcast, my Instagram, and my work and everything that I do, and they rely on me for help. And yeah. a lot of it has to do with what they eat. Yeah. We've had to make some changes to what you eat to prevent the brain fogs and oh, the yeah. lack of, um, which you could get attention deficit yeah. from the food that you eat. Yeah, of course. And I think it's important because I speak so much about hormones. So hormones is true for men too, yeah. especially boys and adults, because mm. now you're an adult and I still see that sometimes it affects you when you go overboard with certain foods that yeah, you shouldn't be does. eating. Um, we squashed out, uh, we, we, remember Dr. Tzvi that we did the yeah. FaceTime with when we came to France? Yeah. You had a little bit of a regression, which was emotional from your father. Yeah. I was having a hard you time. You know, kind of checking out. And he said, remember what he said? Yeah, about the, 
you know, the I, gluten. The gluten, I completely cut so gluten. So at the time you talked to us about taking gluten out of your diet, we didn't have you tested. I don't know if you're gluten intolerant. I did not want to have you tested because I don't fucking want to test nothing. That yeah. doesn't have to be tested unless right, someone's exactly. dying yeah. or someone's sick. But he did say you had regressed and we did a FaceTime session with him because in France, um, they're quite delayed when it comes to autism and things like that. Yeah. And you were 13 years old. You just had your bar mitzvah. Yeah, it was a, it was a hard time. It was a life. hard time because your biological father didn't show up. Yeah. We didn't have a party. We had just arrived. We went to do it with uh, your, your aunt, my, my big sister, who did so much with love, but it wasn't a big party. And that was all tough for you. Uh, yeah. And so you regressed in your behavior and your, you had like very heavy attention deficit disorder at that point, yeah. uh, which was crazy because you were in a mainstream school and we couldn't tell anything to the school. I was lying to them through my They teeth. didn't know anything at all. <laughs> and best thing I ever did, best yeah, lie I ever honestly, told. Honestly, best lie I ever did, for <laughs> sure. Um, but he, Dr. Tzvi said, you know what, Take, cut out gluten. And when he said that, at the time, the gluten-free thing was not it wasn't trend. popular. It wasn't at all. So known. I remember going to the supermarket and looking at shelves and I'm like, what the fuck is gluten? <laughs> and then yeah. I had like to go on the internet and it's like we and this and that. And literally I had to make everything handmade. Like I couldn't find the right pasta. Then I found an egg kind of noodle. Then I was giving you like those konjac noodles. I tried everything like you, you had to have gluten free bread. So I was making bread without gluten because there was none on the shelves. Do you remember that? I remember like nowadays, everything now gluten-free. nowadays, everybody, a lot of people eat gluten free. But Not. the bottom line is when you went completely gluten free and soy free, because yeah, he said soy. that it does affect the estrogen. Yeah. So when you guys wonder how I know so much about hormones, and the estrogen mimickers in your food, and I tell you not to have stevia and truvia and soya-based soya products, you have to know, I know what I'm talking about. I've, 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 you know, handled it and lived it with my heart, with my, you know. With your body as well. Tears of blood almost <laughs> with you. Yeah. And so we cut out the gluten completely. Everything I was doing was like handmade. I wasn't reading labels, whatever. There was nothing gluten-free at the time. And we cut out soy, anything that was soy based, like even soy sauce, I give you amino instead because yeah. you were not allowed and you loved soy sauce. And I love it. I love And you literally should not be eating rice. And when you eat it, it doesn't go well for you. No, it does not. Um, but technically, we're at the point even now where Dylan eats when he wants to indulge, he will have a hamburger, he will have you know, normal bread because, you know, when you go to a restaurant, sometimes there's no gluten free. You just can't. He'll do it. Yeah. But then you will come home and have like a weird hyper behavior, yeah. even though you're completely like, you're freaking as normal as normal can be, yeah. or you, your attention will be like foggy, like you get brain fog a little bit. Yeah. And I don't see honestly, when I eat gluten now, and I'm not, I don't think I'm gluten intolerant, but I eat a lot less gluten. If I have a choice, I will go for gluten-free bread for this reason. Yeah. But when I do have pizza and things like that, I do find that my mood, my mood is affected. I'm more tired. I'm sleepy. Sluggish. I, I can't, I can't really like uh, concentrate. So yeah. for you, that change has been major. Yeah. We mean, totally um, extracted soya out of your life, 
and gluten, you still will have once in a while. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, because I, it's you don't end up. I in can't the live without a good hamburger sometimes. <laughs> exactly, but at home you're gluten free. Yeah, at home, you know, mom makes great meals. I mean, and at home in London, you're gluten free as well. Yeah, yeah. I've you're been, very I mean, careful. I've been gluten free for a while now, to be fair. So. But Dylan's 19 years old, and he has more intuition as far as what he eats and awareness yeah. than the regular 40 year old meaning that he realizes that food does affect his hormones his estrogen uh, levels and if he is in uh, estrogen dominance he cannot think as straight as he does now I need to say something and I hope that you won't mind you are a little bit like Rain Man that yeah. is very true yeah. um, you don't have any more of any of those symptoms you don't flap your hands you don't swing your body you make eye contact you're obviously very well spoken people can hear it on this podcast <laughs> you are more i am gonna say extraordinarily smart more than the norm um you're using a part of your brain that most you know regular people walking out there don't use but you've learned to use it functioning as a normal person um and you have incredible memory. You can remember a license plate. One time there was a hit and run on the BQE in New York and a guy hit me and left. And you remembered the plate. You were very small. And I remember you were like, uh, CMB 523. That was a New York plate license. And you were like seven years old. And I turned around the car, I was like, what? He goes, the car that just hit you was CMB 523. I'm making this up, obviously. So if this is your license plate, don't worry. Don't guys. worry about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, like Rain Man could learn, um, you know, phone numbers and names from the phone book. You have that. And yeah, I mean, in you instance, have it. Yeah, you learn. He was really addicted to, uh, if I remember, he was addicted to baseball. And I mean, so was I. Yeah, you I was, were addicted um, to baseball. Yeah, so we have that in common. But it was I mean, a crazy, He was addicted to baseball statistics like It me. was an upset. So let's Ours. talk about something else. You had OCD. Yeah, I did. For obsessive a while. compulsive disorder. Yeah. You don't have it anymore. No. You used to wash your hands compulsively. Yeah. <laughs> until you created rashes on your hands. Yeah, it really hurt. We fixed that with me going to um, Brooklyn College and going to those night classes. Yeah. We we learned how to deal with that with mm. some occupational therapy, brushing your hands. There's a mm. special brush for your kids. Um, if they're a little bit OCD or a lot of bit OCD, like, uh, you know, they do things constantly and compulsively. So you had a few OCD things. You repeated the same thing over and over. Yeah. And we got rid of all of that. Today, you don't do any of that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was a lot of work. So <laughs> it, it was, was a lot of work, it lot of but work. it was believing. Believing in us and not believing diagnosis. And that's, I think that's the message. And that's why I wanted to bring you on this podcast. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you always have somebody behind you like I did, in, your case, in my case, it was you. But you most, most of those kids, my listeners are moms and, you know, um, and they have kids with learning abilities. I got so many messages after you were accepted to school and when I dropped you off in yeah, London, I yeah. made a post about it and I can't tell you how many women reached out to me yeah. and said, I'm you. Thank you for giving me hope. I'm dumping... Um, special I'm, I'm dumping early intervention and I'm going the, the other way like you I don't want my kid to be labeled I want my kid to go to Stanford I want my kid to go to Harvard I want my kid to go to NYU you know I want my kid to go to Michigan I want I want my kid to be normal 
And I always answer to them, you don't want your gift to be normal, you want your gift to be extraordinary. Because these disabilities actually come with some extraordinary skills that if you can fix all of the other things that need to be fixed for this child to grow into an adult that will function in, you know, normal in society, the norm, unfortunately, you know, society dictates the norm. And I wish it didn't because I think that you guys are a breed of better people with extraordinary intelligence. And if you're followed by the right doctors, therapists, and most of all, a lot of love from your parents or your mother, if she's alone, and your mother fighting, you know, the diagnosis, you can make it so great into this world. I mean, these people that are kind of that are like me um that might have even worse conditions they have really i mean they have incredible abilities that yeah and, they just and, need to be taught how and to they just need to be taught how to properly use them yeah um and in a lot of cases unfortunately sometimes they don't even know that they have them because nobody really guided them to let them know that hey you can be great no matter what issues you got you can be great i mean you know and it, it's good to be different diversity is what makes us today i think i love that you're different you have uh, like seven lives under under your belt, as far as I'm concerned, and you're only 19. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I feel old. <laughs> you're brilliant, and you're sweet, and you're humble, and you're good looking. You know. You know so how's the girlfriend situation? The girlfriend situation, uh, well, you know, it's complicated. I mean, I uh, a few months back, I mean, I did, you know, I had a serious relationship, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was, was cute. Yeah, she was. She was. She did me a lot of good, you know, because. It was really the, I mean, I've had several relationships, obviously, before that, but it was like sort of like the first, you know, relationship where... Serious relationship, where she came to sleep over, you went to sleep, sleep at over. her house. Yeah, we, you know, we went out to restaurants, we traveled Do you know together. what, for me, I will always be thankful to her because it was another stepping stone in realizing that you were going to function normally. But she understood me, which also, and I honestly, I mean, we, you know, we still do, uh, we do chit-chat sometimes. and uh, I know. Yeah. But I'm saying that was a great stepping stone, knowing that you could have a serious relationship and, you know, travel together. You guys went to London together. You, do, you ended well with her. Um, yeah. For me, that was another stepping stone where I was like, motherfuckers, you see doctors, those fucking assholes. I, I knew you were going to be normal. Like, and I don't even like to say normal, but I knew you were going to be able to lead a normal life. And I'm proud of you. Now you live in London and you're going to law school the sixth oh. best law school in the uk that's huge well, i'm proud of you i mean everything that you've accomplished everything that you've done for me and i cannot thank you enough and uh i'm just so happy to be on this podcast today because I think <laughs> it'll give people a greater understanding and it'll also allow, i mean it might give them a greater understanding towards the book that you are currently yeah. writing i mean the book i think even though it that so I have two books that will come out. I have a wellness book with recipes yeah. and, you know, talking about the my anti-diet yeah. perspective. And then there's my, you know... Personal life story. Personal life story. Because uh, people want to know. And um, I hope people want to know. But it seemed like when I came out with it on, you know, with Michael and Lauren, which was the safest environment for me to do it. Because you just felt, you they, just felt they're my great friends. And um, they made me feel safe. And... Yeah. You know, they were super supportive and they're smart. So they, they give me this platform where I felt so safe and the response was 
overwhelmingly beautiful. I thought I was going to get people saying, oh, you're an ex-con and how dare you, whatever. But not at all. I got so much love. So if you guys want, have not heard that podcast interview, which is when I first came out with my story 11 years later, um, you want to go listen to it. It's uh, the him, him and her um, Skinny Confidential podcast. And we will put uh, links in the show notes. And it's episode 139 with Lauren Everts of the Skinny Confidential and her wonderful husband, Michael Bostic. Um, and that interview to me was a revelation of how much our story and even your story overcoming this disability and making yeah. it in the world as a function, highly functioning, normal functioning, you know, human being um, with extraordinary skills, just being an extraordinary person, this whole story has inspired and helped a lot of people. I got hundreds of messages from moms and I got hundreds of messages from people saying, you know, the way that we overcame adversity as a family and the fact that we did it with the love that we did and, you know, the way that we moved and moving was a decision that I took three years after my incarceration yeah. um, because I felt like I needed to move you away from the very religious world where your father was evolving, your biological father was evolving. Yeah. Um, I was not obligated to leave like some people might think at all. I just wasn't feeling right in New York anymore. I had had a 16-year um, beautiful career in fashion that was ending because bloggers came and trashed the heck out of what fashion was, and yeah. it's become something that's, you know, not, not the, same. the fashion that I liked. And yeah. so I knew that I, Uncle Eric, <laughs> Eric yeah. Stern, and I knew we needed to... Um, changed careers he was also an incredible fashion stylist and now he's a he's a, a scout he's a mother scout yeah. for models yeah. he discovered um some incredible models one of which is very well known wallet wilson watson and so him and i looked at each other that fashion week that very last fashion week i went to and we said we're out of here and i knew at that time i'm like you know what i need to move to europe i told him eric i need to move to europe i i I think that's the only thing to do for my kids. I don't want them to become as religious as their father and, you know, get stuck in this community and this very small world. I want them to see, you know, culture and dimensions and dimensions of education and being cultivated. And, you know, I wanted you guys to, to have a big future. And I'm so glad that we made this move, but it wasn't easy. Uh, yeah, yeah, at first it really was not easy. I mean, but. At the end of the day, it opened my eyes to so much culture and life, and it, you know, life just completely changed. And I mean, yeah. we wouldn't be who we are today, and you might, you might, and you might not be who you are today. And I might have never gone to law Absolutely. school had I, you know, had I we stayed know. there. We don't. I don't. I think. I mean, you know. Like I, you I do think that you know, just uh, the 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 open horizon of moving to Europe. And kind of so great. I mean, I love and it. we've looked back. It's not that we totally oh, put I mean, blindfolds. We went back. You yeah. went back. I I've went been back, back several times. And I've never wanted to stay there. Yeah. Like I would never move out of Monaco to go back to New York. Life is just so good here that when you know when you see the life that we had there, it's so different. And I mean, you know, 
the we York, had a good life in New we had a good, York. We had a good life. Nice. You know, we we enjoyed. We had a good yeah, life. I grew up there. I was born there. I mean, I was you're such a there. New Yorker. Yeah, in some senses, I am a New Yorker. Like you know, you are. You know, when I wake up in the morning and I want my coffee. <laughs> my American boy. My, uh, my coffee. I'm proud of you. I want you to know that. That's why I brought you on the podcast. Wow. I think you can help a lot of people like you and their moms and dads and families. Well, I think that. You and know, not, it's not only me. I think you know it's. Uh, it's it's really a lot of you because you're gonna show you you can show you know you could share this story and you could show the single mothers with with a, one kid two kids three kids what you did and how strong you were and how it's the love you know love yeah. for your children especially when you have them so young it gave, it gave me wings this is what drives me every day in everything that I do you did it, it gives for me your wings family. yeah of course yeah. because you know having children. Um, with your biological father was a very selfish, th selfish thing. Yeah. He did not have uh, a paternal instinct. instinct at all. Yeah. And I, of course, I saw it after you, but I thought it might be because of you know the fact that you were different, and so then I went for Savannah. Yeah. And I saw that with Savannah, he, he had a little bit more of a paternal instinct, but it still wasn't great. But I just was like, you know what? Divorce was not an option. I got married young. It was a Jewish wedding. You know, uh, getting divorced I, I was like almost shameful. So I was like, you know, if I'm stuck with him, I might as well have myself a couple of kids and, you that know, you it's going to be raise. me and them. And that's exactly what it's been. It's been me and you guys against the world. And, and today, Gilles is part of the equation, but I feel like I have this strong army you know, by my side, yeah. and we conquer the world together. And who will always stay by and my side. And you're a superhero, so, I, I'm you just, know? I'm just, you know, I'm just a... You're I'm my just, superhero. You know, I'm just a, I consider myself a simple, uh, simple kid that just, you know, wants to succeed in life and wants to uh, take care of his mother. I am a bit of a mother's boy, I will be honest. Um, yep, <laughs> you are. And, I mean, it's totally normal because, and I'm proud to say that I am, honestly, because, I mean, you know, I love my mom, yeah. I'd do anything. And, you know, now I live such a great life and everything. And I'm just, I'm just really happy, you know, to, to be here speaking on this podcast today. It's like, it's really, um, it feels really good to speak about it. You know? Yeah, it's and, success. And, for, and it's for a greater cause. It's not just for us to, you know, explain ourselves. It's to help you guys. Absolutely. It, to understand and maybe I hope you get inspired. So, um, is your account on Instagram private? Uh, yeah, it is. I keep it private because, um, I mean, I keep it private for my, so for myself. So if my followers really. want to follow you, will you accept them? Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit, I have gotten a few that have followed me and, um, and you know, I would write to them and I'd be like, yeah, who is this? I don't know you. <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, you know, I know your mom. I'm well, like, I hope oh, that okay. if some moms have some questions for you. I'd be willing to take care of Of course, questions. I don't want you to take, I don't want to take away from your studies. And, you know, I don't want Instagram to take up any of your time. But let's say that if some mamas have some questions, they should send them to me. And if Dylan can answer them as his contribution, since he wants to be a human rights attorney and taking on, you know, fighting for the less fortunate, then, of course, if we can inspire anyone to fight the system when it comes to you know, um, evaluating your children and not taking prescription, not giving them Adderall, 
Don't um, give them anything. Don't give them anything. Don't give them anything. Give them love. Give them a lot of love. And a lot of devotion and a lot of therapies and, you know, be very mindful of the school system you put them into. Yeah. And don't let them get, get bullied. Just don't give up. Because really. that's part of it. You got bullied a lot. And yeah, I, I took a stand against bullying. Actually, in your school, I took such a stand because it was happening a lot. And yeah. because it was a private school with, you know, parents of these children contributing a lot financially to... Nobody would do anything. Nobody would do anything. And I fought it. And I even fought it legally at some point. And they, they finally paid attention. And now, at, before you left that school... Who we owe a lot to because they mainstream you. They put you on the main. They, they they got you to the point of being mainstream, but they weren't aware of bullying the way that schools are today. But they started the first anti-bullying campaign, and after we fought it, do you remember? I do. When that kid yeah. peed on you in the bathroom. It was a. It was obviously it was a horrible experience. It was a horrible yeah, was experience, really but I we I took a huge stand. So. I hope your kids talk to you if they're getting bullied. Dylan always communicated with me. I'm the only one he communicated with for a very long time. I'm the only one he made eye contact with. Now you made eye contact with anyone and everyone. Um, but um, you, you, you spoke to me and you communicated and I fought it. And that started the anti-bullying campaign. Yeah. That now those anti-bullying campaigns very, are very popular everywhere because they with social media and stuff there's been so many disasters and suicides and so many things but back then it wasn't as common and it wasn't as spoken out about especially not in a jewish religious school where all this stuff is more taboo um but we fought it and it was resolved uh and they started you know they were very proactive once they woke up to it after i you know started to say that I was going to take a legal stand. Yeah, they were obliged to um, react. But they, they did great. They yeah, did they great. Did the bullying did stop. And, you know, of course, having a learning disability, even when you get better and better and more and more um, highly functioning, um, you, are, you have some sequels of, you know, social awkwardness, which you did have, which took us some time to, you know, remove completely. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world because you are the purest, kindest heart. And that's not because you're my son. It's just part of you doesn't process meanness and vile behavior. And, you know, um, I don't think you even know what revenge is or... (laughs) I was born with a lot of love, you know, and... um... No, but that's not what it is. I think it's just your your obliviousness to all that you know Uh, and and you've kept that part that beautiful chip on the inside you've kept now we're very lucky to have you and you asked me a few years ago you said mom if you could have me normal if you could go back and switch and have me normal would you and do you remember what I answered yeah I do you uh you said no. You said you wouldn't change a thing for the world. You said you'd do it over again a few times. I would. I would never want you to be normal. I, I love the extraordinary being that you are. It, it was obviously complicated, but I mean, you know. And it, that's my message yeah. to you. And I dedicate this podcast episode to you, to your success. Well, then I'm, then I'm very touched and I'm very flattered that, you know. And, uh, and that's my message to all the mamas out there. So I hope that this has contributed to someone somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, you know to anybody. Reach for the anybody. stars.
you know i hope that you help that kid whoever you are whoever your child is meant to be is not what doctors and edu you know educators tell you it's what you show them reach for the stars that they will become yeah thank you for coming on my podcast thank you for having me i love you i love you too <laughs>
So Stacy, wherever you are, I want to thank you for believing in Dylan, for giving us your all, for driving from the Bronx all the way to Brooklyn six days a week to give him his therapies. The same goes for Steve. Steve was Dylan's occupational therapist and he's done a lot for Dylan when it came to his motor skills, when it came to OCD, any kind of obsessive compulsive disorder um, aspects like um, dangling his hands or jerking his body or you know scratching a lot. Anything that was OCD, a lot of repetition and being obsessed about a lot of different aspects of life. Um, Steve was an incredible therapist and he got involved also very emotionally with Dylan and I think a lot of these therapists, if you are a therapist and you're listening to me, if you've chosen to study to become a speech occupational or special education therapist, you are an amazing person because that means that you went and studied because you believe in the power of those special children to function you believe in, in their power to, to be something more than what the diagnosis um, wants, you, wants us parents to settle on. And so I'm thanking our therapist that we've worked with, our doctors, Dr. Sissy McCartan, Dr. Stephen Billick, Mora Nechama, wherever you are. She was one of Dylan's teachers, but she was also um, her sh his shadow in preschool. Um, I want to shout out also Mora Norma, Norma Shama. She worked with Dylan in Magan David Yeshiva and she was one of those very young assistant teachers and she still follows me on Instagram. And she believed in Dylan so much. His awkwardness at the time did not make her take a step back. She got so involved emotionally and she supported him so much when some teachers did not have the patience and felt that Dylan should go to a special school. She was one of those that just gave him a lot of hugs and a lot of love and, you know, held his face often so he would make eye contact. And she's one of those people that because her kind heart was around him in class, I fought the system and refused to put him in a special school. So, Norma, if you're listening, you've become a beautiful young woman. And we are so proud that you have been part of Dylan's um, journey. You're amazing. Whatever you're doing now is probably something incredible. But I want you to know that you have changed one life by being an educator in a preschool. You have impacted Dylan's life so much. And you're one of the people that has contributed to making him the young, successful, extraordinary young man that he is today. Um, so I can't shout out those educators, even though I said fuck you to the other ones, the ones that, you know, did not give me any hope. I have to give a big thank you to those that gave us hope, those that really went to study and became therapists, certified therapists, um, and, you know, doctors and counselors, those that really helped us are people that in the first place went and studied with an open mind and with selflessness and love um, to change this kid's um, destiny 
away and turn it away from just the diagnosis. The program that we used, I don't know if it's obsolete today or if something better is out there, but Dylan was born in 1999. I knew when he was about two years old that something was wrong with him because he was not turning. He, he took a long time to turn to his side on the bed. He was not going up and down the stairs climbing um, with both sides so only use for example the right knee and right hand and when he started crawling it was the same thing everything was constantly the right side not the left and constantly the right side so there are a few things you can look out for to know if your child may be having a learning disability so for me Dylan was uh, very early on his motor skills um, not turning in his bed like a baby would um, at a certain, you know, after six or seven months, um, eye contact, lack of eye contact. Um, and that's all before he started walking and all before he started uh, speaking, I already knew something was up. Um, very early on, we, and I, I don't like to speak up so much about that because there's been so much controversy, but it has come out that I was right all along. And I know that uh, Jenny McCarthy with her son, was autistic as well, um, but a little bit more severe than Dylan, had spoken up about it. And Dr. McCartan agreed with me, and she agreed with Jenny, who I know she's worked with as well. Um, we know for a fact that the early vaccinations back in 1999, 2000, 2001 are responsible for this. You are not, your child is possibly not born on the spectrum of autism and very often it will be uh, the vaccination, the mercury, the high dosage of mercury in the, vac the early vaccines that we give our kids. And for Dylan, it was very true because when he was born, I was, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old actually. And um, I was a new mom, I was very young. And I remember I had Aetna US Healthcare, which was one of the best healthcare's in New York. And so they gave you this book where you could go to the affiliated doctors. So I looked around my area and I found this doctor um, not far from me. And uh, she seemed to be good. And at the time, internet wasn't a place where you could Google and look for surveys and look for reviews. Um, so I decided to go to her because technically all the doctors that were covered with, by Edna, that were paid by Edna US Healthcare, um, we're good doctors and we arrived and this doctor jumped on us and said right away my Dylan was a newborn we were out of the hospital it was his first visit she said I need to do his shots right away because for the first month he's covered under his mother's insurance which was my insurance and we get paid faster and what she proceeded to do she was so eager and so afraid that Dylan would have like a different insurance which effectively i was on youth at us healthcare but then i moved to blue cross blue, blue shield which wasn't a coverage that was as good the motivation of that doctor was so disgusting and i felt it but i didn't follow my intuition because i was in such foreign waters like i was a new mom i didn't know about the whole insurance thing she speed up the whole process of vaccination the first month through because she knew that Dylan, as a newborn, would be covered under my insurance the first month. And she knew that Edna's turnaround payment was within three days or something like that. And she proceeded to constantly call me 
in like every like 10 days and say, I got to give him a shot. I got to give him a shot. And she gave him like in the course of the first few months of his life, she gave him maybe six or seven different shots. And I felt like something was wrong because she, um, I should say in the first month of his life, she gave him a bunch of shots, not even the first few months, but through the one month that Edna US Healthcare covers, sorry. And I felt it and I still let it happen. And I feel so guilty today, but I didn't know anything about the mercury until I decided to change doctors and I went to this amazing doctor. His name was Dr. Stephen Fries. And unfortunately he passed away. Uh, years later, but he was Dylan and Savannah's pediatrician for a long time. And as soon as I walked into his office and he got Dylan's medical record, Dylan was like two months old. He said to me, he got too many shots. Who, why did this doctor do this? And I said, well, she looked very eager to get paid by my good insurance policy. And he said, I'm very afraid, Ingrid. I'm afraid because she gave him too many shots and nowadays this concentration of shots, all the mercury in those shots are known to cause learning disabilities such as autism and Asperger's. And he goes, we're going to sit it out and we won't know really until Dylan is about a year old. But let's start watching out for, uh, for signs. And I remember coming out of there and praying to God that Dylan wasn't going to be affected. I was praying. I was like, oh my God, how could shots that are FDA approved, that are, you know, ob an obligation when you send your kids to school, how could they, you know, and there was really nothing I could read. There was nothing online. And um, turns out when I started to see the signs, I went back to Dr. Fries and I said, I see some signs. And he was like, okay, don't jump to conclusions. Let's go to early intervention first. So we did. I signed up for early intervention, got him, got him um, at one and a half. I, I got him diagnosed. And of course, the diagnosis of early intervention is very, um, it, it's just very plain, very mainstream, nothing, nothing. F they, they can't particularly pinpoint what the condition is. So they couldn't tell me that it was, um, they couldn't tell me what it was. They could just said he has a learning disability, he's delayed. And uh, unfortunately, after maybe a year with early intervention, I, I knew there was more I needed to do and I couldn't accept the diagnosis. But this is the story. And so when we got to Dr. Sissy McCartan, and I think her center, the McCartan Center, still exists in New York. And if you can spare some money, and you can travel to New York to go see her. This is the woman you have to go see. And I believe her daughter is in practice now as well. I haven't seen Dr. McCartan in, in more than a decade. But the great thing about her is that she is one of the rare doctors that believe that you can actually cure a child on the spectrum. And she was right. Because when we followed her diagnosis and her prescription for the fast forward program with no medication whatsoever, um, we, we were right to follow her. She for sure is the woman that saved Dylan's life and made it a normal life. So you have to know Fast Forward was a program, a program that um, it was one of the very first computer programs for that. 
It prepares the brain for reading by improving the language and the cognitive skills that are often weak in struggling children, like the children that are affected by being on the spectrum, by autism, by Asperger's. So um, it, it works on what you call MAPS, M-A-P-S, memory, attention, processing, speed, and sequencing, which is what Dylan had a problem with. And when Dylan went from being on, on the spectrum of autism, once we considered that was cured, it became an auditory processing disorder, which is something that a lot of people live with and have normal lives and go, can go on to studying normally and having incredible diplomas and achieving amazing things in life. Um, but what, what Fast Forward did for him is that it reinforced skills that therapies were teaching him and it was helping to build fluency rapidly where he wasn't doing it naturally and comprehension rapidly where he wasn't doing it naturally like a normal functioning child and fast forward took a really long time it took years for it to work but it worked so you have to be consistent persist persistent don't count on a magic pill and surround yourself with a strong team of educators you need a special education teachers if your son a, teach, uh, a therapist sorry if your son or your daughter is in preschool you're going to need a shadow which is a special ed in a therapist that's shadowing everything that's happening in a normal setting and that can help your child develop a normal behavior towards his peers and helping with comprehension and receiving the information from a teacher in a normal school setting um, but helping the child process a little bit faster and in sequence with atten helping the attention and you know diminishing the attention deficit. Um, obviously Dylan's memory didn't need much help because he had great memory, still does. It's like magical memory, bionic memory I want to say. Um, but you know with the auditory processing disorder that comes from that often things would go one ear and by the time they came out the other you had lost the sequence of the information and only heard the beginning or the ending and didn't process it right so that's what would happen with Dylan and none of that now is happening we're gonna put uh, in the show notes the information about fast forward even though like I said I do believe that since then there may have been progress in better programs that your child can do either way don't jump on the fast forward um, you know wagon before you get the child diagnosed by the right doctor and when I say that I say that I had to learn diagnosed by early intervention I did not like their diagnosis I went to other doctors that they sent me to did not like their diagnosis I only kept on going until I heard the diagnosis what I wanted and I was okay to hear that my child was not okay but I was not okay to hear that my child would never be okay and that's Dr. Cissy McCartney for me after all these doctors, all these consultations, all these evaluations, when I got to her, the evaluation was the worst I've ever heard because she went so in-depth with everything that wasn't functioning right for Dylan. But she's the only one in her conclusion who said, we can fix it. And at the time, the health department, the FDA, did not want to approve her way of working because they wanted doctors to push on prescription medication. And she was all against it. 
and she wasn't wrong because I, when I saw that John Travolta's son was on those medications for whatever he had, which was also a disability, and that he killed himself, I was like, aha. But Dr. McCarran's evaluation was so tough to read, but the best part of it all is at the end of the evaluation, she was like, these are the solutions. And she was right. So don't stop at the diagnosis. Like I said before, I can't repeat it enough. Keep fighting for your child. There's definitely, where there's a functioning body and a functioning brain, there's definitely, definitely something you can do. I want to go on to some questions that you... So let me get on to some of your questions. I feel like Dylan's answered a lot of them just by storytelling. Um, Lil MCG asked, was diet, gluten, dairy-free supplement part of your success brain-gut connection? Yes. So if you heard Dylan's story, you know that we answered this question. But this reminds me that Dylan was dairy-free. As he was going through this process, his tummy was not tolerating dairy at all. So it was definitely connected with the gut. So soya was out of the question as we discussed with Dylan in the conversation before. Um, gluten was out of the question. It was definitely affecting his cognitive, giving him brain fog uh, and affecting his tension, making attention deficit worse. Um, and dairy was just something that he was not tolerating. He was getting very sick on dairy and it's crazy because today he's all right and he's great and he can have dairy without problems. Um, but I've also taught him to eat more fermented cheese now that we live in Europe, especially in, in France. So in, in, the U, in the UK, he tells me that he struggles a little more with finding the right stuff. Their, pro their products are not as good as ours um, here in France, but I've definitely taught him that. So yes, you're right. Um, Jill asked, any recommendations on things to do with my son who can't sit still and focus and moves and moves and songs. Um, and then, I don't know, the, the, the question got cut off. But yes, Jill. Dylan, uh, something that really helped him with that. He was not hyper, uh, but we did lose his attention, even though he did, so he didn't have ADHD, but he had a little bit of ADD. But uh, his OCD was making him impossible to sit still sometimes. To comment, um, occupational therapists use a brush which works so well and I'm going to find it on Amazon and I will link it in the show notes. Uh, the brushing helped so, so much. So I know it sounds awkward if, if some of you have never heard or seen that or if you don't have a child with a learning disability, but if you do, or even if your child is showing you a little bit of OCD behavior or attention deficit or attention hyperactivity um, um, deficit, uh, then you want to look into brushing and the uh, occupational therapist brushes have definitely helped a lot for Dylan. What I found also has helped a lot and I learned that when I went to do that year of night classes in Brooklyn College in special education is using a lot of the same language and the same kind of song kind of when you address your child. For example, Dylan used to make a lot of weird noises like beep, beep, but like out of nowhere where it would be awkward in a social setting. And what I did, I, I kind of uh, created 
a language for him and I that was you have to be consistent with it. So for example, when he made the noises, I didn't make a big deal and go into a whole tirade. Oh, Dylan, you have to stop the noise. No, what I did was I used to kind of um, caress his shoulder or caress his arm or caress his cheek and say, Dylan, the noises. And I kind of did this for years. And I'm sure if he was here as I'm recording um, this conclusion for you guys, he would smile because that is very much the language that he heard me say for years and the consistency and the persistence with it really used to soothe him down and when he grew up and became a little more mature if he made weird noises he would say to himself he would say Dylan the noises and just stop it on his own so you have to be persistent and find a cute little language not a baby language though don't be like no Talk to your child like he's an adult. Talk to your child like he's normal because he is normal. So just kind of develop something that works. A way of communicating that's always consistent, always using the same words and the tone of voice. And that has done a difference for Dylan. Um, Jill also asked, how did you work around the bullies talking down on your kid? Some moms do that with my son. I dealt with bullies a lot as you heard from my conversation with Dylan and I didn't let it go I um, technically the best thing to do is to go through the school and if the school doesn't take care of it you have to threaten them with legal action I've done the same with the parents when I didn't get through to them because often they were the stupid ones not their kids um, I just threatened legal action and I also exposed it a lot. Like I do on Instagram when I got bullied by my competition, do you guys remember? Um, and I used to call that competition a rotten apple and a lot of you understood why. Um, I go head on, go head on, expose it, embarrass them for being such fucking assholes. That works also. But definitely if it's happening in a school environment, you need to go straight to the school and tell them you will hold them responsible if that doesn't stop. And there's no level of bullying that's low enough to let it go. Don't let it go for your child's sake. Um, Dasha asked, do you have any tips for the personal statement? I would love to study in London next year. Well, Dasha, we answered your question in a way that we didn't read his statement. And so my take on it, if you listen to the portion where Dylan read his statement on, you know, the, the interview with him, um, tell your story, explain why you are going to be the professional that you want to be, what in your life has impacted it, give a lot of yourself. That's my advice and that's the advice I gave Dylan when we wrote his statement, I told him don't be ashamed of anything about you, don't be ashamed of my story, be proud give it to them, show them that this is the passion that's driving you comes from the core of what our life has been. And so that's my advice to you, Dasha. Elizabeth said, how did Dylan deal with the way society perceives someone on the spectrum? And you guys are major family goals, all of you. Elizabeth, thank you so, so much. Elizabeth Romani. Um, thank you for saying that we are goals. Um, Dylan didn't deal with the way society perceived him in a way that uh, when they are on the spectrum, they don't understand mean behavior. That's what I was saying in my conversation with him. They don't comprehend mean behavior. 
And so they don't assess it as they're being different. Um, and I reinforced that. I kept on saying, this person is just mean. That's their problem, not yours, Dylan. You're amazing. You're special. You're better. You're above and beyond all of us because you don't understand what being mean is. So you're just being you. And I kind of nailed that into his head so much, telling him the person who's mean to you is the person with the problem. There's no such thing as normalcy. I used to tell him, you're more normal than anyone because you have a kind heart and you're pure and your brain is amazing. So, you know, he didn't perceive it because Dylan's perception of the world was through my eyes. If you're a mom that's terrified by the fact that your child is different, then your child is going to see how the world perceives them through your terrified eyes. So you have to show your child that you see the world ha as being different and wrong and your child has been special, amazing, extraordinary and right. And when your child starts seeing themselves through your eyes like that and not being afraid of how you look at the disability on the outside world, then your child's okay. So take on that hurt and that pain and that fear on your shoulders but never let the world see that. Never let the world think that you think your child is different. And never let your child believe that the world is better than him and is normal and he's not. That's my advice to you. And it's worked a great deal for Dylan. And I hope that helps so much. Mandy said, Mandy Jones said, what motivated Dylan to stay strong and go to law school? Um, I think if you listen to a statement that he read earlier in the interview, you know that our, um, our life and adversity in our life, so not only is learning disability, the fact that he had an absentee father who gave up on him and me going to prison, that adversity is something that I've taught my kids. Adversity is something you say fuck you to. So fuck you very much adversity is what I taught to my kids. And instead of being what defines him, Dylan has learned to take adversity and make it his passion to conquer it and crush it. And I think that this is what motivated him to go to law school I, you know, I went to NYU, I graduated um, and throughout my own legal history and my own legal um, troubles, I've shown that everything I've learned in law school was valuable and that I was good at it. And I've then moved on after I came out of prison to volunteering for um, an institute called the Aleph Institute that helps uh, Jewish people that have issues with the law um, find the right guidance, the right representation, prevent them from, you know, um, pleading guilty when they don't know better. And so I, you know, volunteered and helped some of these people. Um, one of them, the Napster kid that you guys heard on Dylan's statement. And I think 
that making a difference that way with law, often helping people um, without making money with whatever legal problems they had. And we had a friend, for example, that uh, had lost, lost custody of his daughter completely and I helped him out and you know got him shared custody just by giving him some advice, even though I could not represent him in France because I don't have a license. Um, but I think that Dylan seeing how much good you can do with the law, whereas the justice system failed us, gave him a lot of passion to become a lawyer for the right reasons and to be on the right side of the law and get it to be applied where, you know, it's helpful and helps humanity. So that's why he wants to be a human rights attorney. And now he's talking a little bit about criminal law too. So I don't know, he might change his mind. Um, Danelli asked me, what did, when did you first notice a change or shift? What age? Um, I'm not sure if you're asking in a shift, like when Dylan got better or when did I realize something was wrong? I'll answer both, even though I've answered throughout the whole episode, a lot of that. I realized that something was wrong as soon as Dylan, um, was not turning in his bed at the age he was supposed to, but that's because Dr. Freeze, his pediatrician was very afraid from all the shots that this horrible pediatrician before him had given to Dylan early on at an early age. Um, so I knew what to look out for. And also with the crawling or the walking up the stairs when the child is doing it, uh, not alternating hands, you feel it in the motor skills and the eye contact. That's as far as realizing something is wrong. When did Dylan get better? It was gradual but it wasn't fast enough for me. So for a long time, like until the age of 11 and 12, I didn't feel like he was getting much better. Although he started to speak. And I mean, we had a few wow moments with the therapists, but for a mom, it's never enough. The huge shift I believe is when we moved to Monaco. Um, it's like at the same time, it's not the move to Monaco that did it. It's when he was mainstreamed. At the age of 12, 13, um, he was mainstreamed to a regular program with regular kids, regular class setting. And that's when we started feeling the switch. And I do believe that, you know, dealing with the food and subtracting soya and all of that really helped. Um, so hitting puberty with the hormones, you can actually have a great turnout if you've been taking care of it before puberty, or you could have things go worse because the hormones are out of whack and you didn't know to take care of all of that. I hope that answers the question as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm sorry it was so much on the serious side, but like I said, I waited for Dylan to be of age and to turn 18, to graduate, to tell his story. Um, like religious choices or you know life choices it's always great to wait for your child to be an adult to make decisions so don't make the decision to talk about your child's story until he's okay with it i didn't come out with my own story what happened to me how um i struggled and had a success over adversity because my kids were part of that story and 
although Savannah and Dakota are still underage, most of the story was for Dylan um, with his disability. And until it became a success, I didn't want to speak up. I had nothing to say. I had nothing to bring to the table. I needed everything that we've done and even trial and error to turn into a success so we could share the story for a purpose, of, for the purpose of helping others and giving hope and for people to know that um, everything is possible when it comes to your child. And I know if you're a mom that's dealing with a child who has a learning disability, um, you cry and you're scared and you wonder what, what you've done wrong. I know today that I haven't done anything wrong, including the vaccination. As a parent, we make choices we think are best for our children. And sometimes we're wrong. We don't know everything. Like I say about the body and diet, we don't come with a handbook. So don't beat yourself up. Um, deal with your heart, not with your emotions. Follow your gut, follow your mom intuition more than you do doctors. It's not because people go and get diplomas that they know exactly what DNA your child is made out of and what superpower your child has. Don't let anyone tell you you can't or your child can't. I, um, over the years, got involved with Autism Speaks, which is a charity that is very dear to my heart because it's advanced so much when it comes to research and understanding children with autism or being on the spectrum of autism. Um, I did fight bully, bullying um, in school and won a small lawsuit back in the days. All the proceedings from that lawsuit went to Autism Speaks and that's how I got involved with them in the first place. They're all over the world. Um, so if your child is on the spectrum or has autism, um, contribute to the cause, yes, but also get involved with spreading knowledge and get close to the cause. It's very helpful to see you are not alone and they are hundreds and hundreds of amazing children like yours. Our children, those specific children in particular, are very special and they are a breed that is different but that is also extraordinary and don't forget that. If you have any questions for me, um, I'll be very happy to answer them. Feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email and I'll post that in the show notes. Um, you can reach me on Instagram. We'll put that in show notes as well, but most of you know how to find me on Instagram. Any questions at all? I am more than happy to have even a speck of a contribution in your child having a chance at a great life without being stigmatized as abnormal or different. Um, so that is it for me today. Um, 
you can also uh, go on the method MC, of course, when it comes to working out with me. Um, now that you know that Contrology integration is something that I've learned A from Joseph Pilati as far as the mind to body um, control, but as well as creating my own Contrology integration method from what I've learned from dealing with Dylan and taking classes in special education for a year, um, learning how the cognitive mind to body works. That's a huge part of the method that's 50%. I get to have someone who thinks they cannot perform a certain movement and they've never practiced it and they've never trained for this moment, actually find that through Contrology integration, which is the cognitive work between the mind and the body and the motor skills, they're actually able to perform without ever having trained, practiced, rehearsed just from the way that I talked to, I talked to them and the way and my demeanor and my voice. And that's exactly what I used to do with Dylan. So in a way, when I explained before that, for example, when Dylan was making those weird noises or flapping his hands, I would have a certain language and a certain melody to my voice that was constantly recurrent and persistent. Um, then Dylan would respond with, his motor skills as well like he would do more of what I told him and I do the very same thing with the methods so if you feel like you've seen my videos before and you feel you will not be able to do it it looks too hard and given it's hard in the fact that you feel your muscles working it's not easy but if you think you cannot come up into a V think again with Contrology integration that you now know I have experienced firsthand with my child and I've developed it into a fitness um, method, mind-to-body method, which is also why the cortisol level stays so low when we, when we do the, the master sessions. Um, think again, I'll be able, with the sound of my voice, with the way that I induce and integrate the information into your brain and into your mind, and the way that it signals to your very capable and able body and muscles, you'll be able to do things you never thought yourself capable. And that's the method. And that's why I urge you to really try it. So if you do want to work out with me, um, even though I don't take new private clients, so I don't do one-on-ones anymore, I don't take new clients, I simply don't have the time. I'm keeping all of my clients that I already had and that's keeping me super busy, you could still work out with me and experience Contrology integration uh, during the method master session and work your whole body in a way you never thought yourself capable with incredible results as a result of this. Um, you can do so through the virtual platforms. platform. There are uh, four master sessions all taught by me and you can do them in the comfort of your home, on your computer, your tablet, your TV. Um, a lot of you have also asked me, how do I get it on my TV? Well, all you need is AirPlay. So you can do a mirror image from your phone or your tablet or your computer right onto your TV. Today, most TVs are equipped with that. 
so you can even get it onto your TV. As long as you have internet connection, you can get it on. And of course, it will be in the show notes. A lot of you have tried my flash workout lately, but I will always share it again on uh, the show notes as well. So you can do that with a towel. Uh, you don't need any equipment. All you need is a mat. You can do it in a hotel room. You could do it on the go, um, anywhere you are, even by the pool, just as long as you have your phone or your tablet with you. Um, and it's a very good introduction um, to what the method is. And I do use my Contrology integration method, including the voice and the, the way that I teach it and the way that I induce it. Um, and I've heard some people have had even great results with the free flash workouts and they're completely free. You don't have to subscribe to anything. You don't have to give any of your information. All you have to do is click the link on the show notes. Um, if you are looking for Simply Inulin, you know you can also find it on the website. The link will be in the show notes as well. You might want to jump onto uh, the opportunity to get our black vinyl um, jar, which is our limited series jar and it's black because we know I love a black vinyl pair of pants and everything in my house is black and white. If you've seen my stories, you know that. So I've made it very rock chic, gangster chic. Uh, for your kitchens and to make your morning coffee experience badass and super chic. So you might want to jump on that coffret for the holidays. It's available right now on the website. Link will be in show notes. And uh, on this note, I wish you a wonderful weekend. Please send me your feedback um, about this episode. I always wonder, have we gone too serious? Have we gone too in-depth? Maybe no one in your family has a learning disability and you're just in this for the French lifestyle and the diet or anti-diet rather. And if so, if you didn't feel concerned um, or interested by this, this episode because it does absolutely not apply to you, I apologize, but this is who I am. And as you know, I'm unapologetically me. And I couldn't give a fuck if some people don't like it. So if you like me and you like what I have to say, you have to know that this is very much part of who I am. And this is what makes me the person that tends to your needs also and your expectations as far as when you want information from me or you come onto my platform for my content. This is part of who I am, being Dylan's mom, um, having dealt with, you know, his adversity and our family adversity, his what it is. And, uh, you know, you get what you get on here, don't be upset. That's also one of the phrases I used to say to Dylan. Um, on this note, again, I wish you a happy weekend and sending you lots of love from Monaco. Bisous, bisous from Monaco.